Well, I'm sure I speak on behalf of all the missionaries in saying we have been so very blessed by the kindness and generosity of this congregation. I've rarely been in a place where I've been treated so well. And um, the, uh, the field trip we had on Friday and uh, the meals and all of the aspects have been just almost at times overwhelming. I want to thank, of course, Pastor Dan and uh, Pastor Scott, Pastor Chris, for all that you've done to make this a success. Kurt, Paquette, and the mission board. I know you work very hard to put this together. And uh, I especially want to thank um, Alan Sharon Spires for their kindness. They've not only hosted me and uh, uh, been very kind and gracious, but they let me use their car several times. Brother Al, last night I dreamed, where are you? I dreamed last night that I wrecked your car. <laughs> and it was so real. And I thought, how am I going to tell the man I wrecked his car? And then I woke up and I thought, oh, thank you. Uh, by the way, it's sitting out there just fine. I drove in this morning for breakfast. Uh, and I appreciate that, Don and Joanne Dyers. I so much enjoyed hearing your testimony yesterday. I always enjoy hearing testimonies of salvation and grace. What a great story. If you haven't heard that, ask them uh, about how God rescued them from darkness. And then uh, Tim and Karen Byram last night and feeding us and just being so kind and, and having various ones over and feeding us. And, um, and, and, and frankly, um, I've said all week, I call my wife, of course, day by day. She wasn't able to come because of some other family commitments. I so said, I really wish you were here. You would so much enjoy being here. And um, that's my one regret is that she couldn't come, but um, it has been just in every way a delight. And I know that the Lord blesses you because of your kindness to others. We've been talking all week about this relationship between preaching Christ and serving others. And uh, in the messages so far, we looked first of all at Acts chapter 1, and we saw the nature of gospel ministry, what Jesus says to his disciples about how the gospel will go out around the world through their being witnesses unto him and the power of the Holy Spirit. We saw in Acts chapter 2 in the second message, the beginning of gospel ministry, how the day of Pentecost, Jesus' prediction, began to be fulfilled. The Spirit did come. They began to preach repentance and remission of sins. And uh, how in the congregation among those who were saved, there was a great outpouring of kindness and favor and assistance to one another. And how this, uh, this preaching Christ and serving others began to be demonstrated. Today, I want to look at Acts chapter 3, as we've read in our responsive reading, and coming to see the third uh, of these messages about the expansion of gospel ministry as it begins to spread even more broadly. And we see this beginning, interestingly enough, with a simple act of going up to the temple to pray. Now, the story, if you're familiar with the story, and we'll get a little bit further into the passage as we go, the story will lead us in chapter 3 to Peter preaching a phenomenal gospel message. And we read in chapter 4 that on that occasion there were 5,000 men beside women and children, so there were more than 5,000 total, who were converted that day. But Peter didn't go up to the temple to preach. We see that Peter healed the man, as we just read. But really, Peter didn't go up to the temple to heal anyone either. Peter went up to the temple to worship. 
And as we start to think today about this expansion of gospel ministry, I want to emphasize to you that gospel ministry flows quite naturally out of a spirit of worship. We, we serve the Lord by worshiping him and determining in our hearts to give ourselves wholly to him by putting him in his proper place, by lifting him up, by exalting him as he deserves to be exalted. And out of that will always flow gospel ministry. And so Peter and John are just going up to pray, to do their, as it were, their duty. And the pathway of doing their duty, they come along and they see this man who's been lame from birth. He's set out there day by day. This was the only way this man could survive was to have people have pity on him and show compassion and give him a, a few pennies and, and that would be enough to eat that day. And then the next day there he would be again and he'd been carried out there day after day. And we know that Peter and John had been to the temple many times and perhaps had been up to pray at the same hour many times. And it is not unlikely that they passed this guy before. They would have seen him there perhaps many times. But somehow this time was different. And as they pass by, this beggar, as he would naturally do, calls out for some assistance. Buddy, can you spare a dime or a dollar or five or whatever you can give? Help me out. And Peter looks at him fixes his eyes on him, and he says, you know, I don't have any money. Have you ever stopped to think about how it was that Peter didn't have any money? It's just kind of a passing statement, but I think it is interesting. The passage just before this says that all the believers were selling, the ones who had more than they needed, were selling what they had and sharing with those who didn't. Here's Peter. He's the leader of the, of the ministry. He's the one who's right at the center of everything that's happening. He's the preacher for the congregation. And he doesn't have any money? How different is that from today? Right? How, how different is it from the, the, the TV evangelists who have these multi-million dollar ministries and they seem to find a way to bring people's money right out of their pockets without them even realizing it? And here's Peter. He says, you know, I don't have any money. And, and I wonder, why didn't you have any money, Peter? Did Mrs. Peter sort of get to the wallet that morning early to get some money to buy some food? Did your kids raid you? Did, did you spend everything you had fixing, you know, your, some appliance or whatever at home and suddenly now you don't have any money? But he didn't. I suspect, however, that if Peter would have had money, he would have given it. And I say that based simply on the fact that as Jesus' follower, as one who is very keen, especially under the power of the Holy Spirit, and as we saw the other night, doing simple acts of obedience, trying to exactly and faithfully obey everything Jesus had commanded. Jesus had said in the Sermon on the Mount, in, Acts, uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 5, that if a man begs from you, you should give him something. That's a command from Christ. And I think in our modern society, we find all kinds of ways to figure out how to avoid that. But that's a very straightforward command of Christ. How that plays out for you is your business. I know how it plays out for me. And it's very simple. If a man begs for me, I give him something. So, well, he might abuse that money. He might, of course he will. That's between him and God. My responsibility is to obey what Jesus said. And I'm not going to give him my car. I'm not going to give him everything I own. Because he probably will take that and use it in a way that will harm himself in some cases. But to the extent that I can, I give. And I think Peter would have done that. I have no doubt. That's why he has to say, I don't have any money. You know what would have happened if Peter would have had money? The guy wouldn't have been healed. How many times as we go through life, folks, 
Do we find ourselves in a situation where we don't have what we think we ought to have? I mean, here's, here's me. If, that, if this were me, right? I don't mean to be flippant with the scripture, but if that were me that morning, I would have said, oh, man. Oh, I don't have any money. How is it I don't have any money? I mean, look at me. I'm the leader of the ministry. I've been preaching. Thousands of people have been saved. People are sharing everything they have. I don't have any money. And I would have probably stood there and felt sorry for myself for not having any money. Not what Peter did. Peter said, I don't have any money, but here's what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ, walk. And I have to ask myself, how many times as I go through life do I focus on what I don't have and I think I ought to have instead of focusing on what Jesus is doing in that moment? Do you realize, folks, that most of the time when you don't have what you think you ought to have, that's exactly because God doesn't want you to have it then? And God didn't give it to you because he's got something better and bigger for you to do in that particular situation. He wants to use your extremity so that he can glorify himself through you. So Peter looks at the guy and he says, I don't have any money, but here's what I do have in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Walk. And he does. The guy jumps up. Peter reaches out, takes his hand. His ankle bones are strengthened. And this guy jumps up and he's leaping. Can you imagine that scene? I mean, he's jumping all over the place. I imagine he's probably doing cartwheels. I think the guy turned into an instant gymnast. He's all over the place. I mean, I think this guy was probably jumping up and down, going up to everybody who can possibly, uh, he can get to, and, and, and saying, look at me, I can walk. He's making a big spectacle. He's all over the place. He's happy. He's filled with joy. He's just been rescued from his physical malady. And I want to point out to you, as I've been doing throughout this week, that in, to the extent that we can help someone in need, we should. Now, I, I don't have the ability to reach down and grab someone by the hand and heal them. I don't really believe anybody has that power in and of themselves these days, in Jesus' name or any other name. I believe Jesus can heal. I believe that Jesus can do anything he wants to do in this day, as, as in any day. But I don't expect that I'm going to go around healing people like Peter did. I think that was something for the first century, for the spread of the gospel, for the establishment of the good news. And the, and the formation of the church. But I do believe that to the extent that I can help someone, I should. And Peter, I think, is a good example of that. He's willing to help this man as he's going up to do his Christian duty. He sees this man and he helps him. He, he, he does what Jesus would do. He says, you know, I don't have any money and probably if he did, he would have helped him with that, but he doesn't. So what would Jesus do in this situation? Well, Jesus would heal him. And he remembers Jesus' promises and Jesus' commission, and he reaches down and he says, walk. And the man is on his feet, and he's all over the temple. And this turns into, well, quite the scene. It says in verse 11, while he was clinging to Peter and John. Can you get that image in your mind? I mean, he's, he's kind of made the rounds. He's run around. He's jumped up and down. Now he comes back, and he's so grateful. And he's clinging on to them. He's holding them. He's, thank you, thank you, thank you. All the people ran together at, uh, to them at the, at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. This is quite the scene. Verse 12, but when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned, in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. Think Acts 1.8. We are witnesses. 
And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the, in the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. So Peter takes this, and with the attention turning to Peter and John, and people are curious, people want to know what's happening. They want to know maybe if they can get in on this, maybe they've got a sore foot, maybe they've got a headache, maybe this is, this is going to be the answer to all of their problems as well. Peter says, wait just a minute. It's not about us. This is about Jesus. And the message he preaches here on the portico of the temple is very similar to the message he preached in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. He turns around and he says, Jesus Christ was the anointed, Jesus was the anointed Christ, the anointed Messiah, the Son of God, and you with wicked hands slew him. You purposely sought to destroy the very Son of God. He turns it right back on them and he says, you've got a bigger problem than any physical ailments, and your problem is sin. And he doesn't mince any words here. He doesn't cut any corners. He's compassionate as he could possibly be. And he work, reaches out just as Jesus would do to help people in their misery and their, 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 their sense of being downtrodden and helpless. But he doesn't cut corners when it comes to calling sin, sin, and telling people that they need to repent and turn back. He makes this message to be all about Jesus. And that really is the, the core, the heart, the center of everything that we proclaim. It's all about Jesus. Yes, we can help. Yes, we should help. Yes, if there's a lame man and we can do something to help him, let's do it. But let's make the message all about Jesus. And so he, he tells them that their problem is sin. And then he tells them that if they don't repent, that judgment will come. Look in verse, um, let's look in verse 17. He says, and now I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshment or refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. And he goes on to give prophecy about the nature of the Messiah and how it's fulfilled in Christ. And he ends that, that message by saying in verse 26, For you first God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. And Peter makes it absolutely clear, your problems, folks, the core of your need is not better health or social justice or freedom from Rome. All these things that Peter and the others had been thinking about in Acts chapter 1 when they said, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom? Is everything going to be perfect now? And Jesus said, no, I've got something even better. I've got my kingdom bringing that in in power of the Holy Spirit, ruling over the hearts of men and rescuing people from the even greater danger, and that is the danger of their own sin. And now Peter's preaching that message, and he's making it absolutely certain in their minds that if they fail to repent, they face the judgment of God. That's the message. That message needs to go out not only here, that message needs to go out all around the world. Well then, the passage continues into chapter 4, and if you have a uh, Bible with headings, you'll notice that the heading for chapter 4 is Peter and John are arrested. And so here, let's read that in verse 1. 
Since they were, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Of course, the Sadducees especially didn't like anything to talk about the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in that. Verse 3 says, And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire about what power or what name have you done this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, because we, we helped this man, if that's what the, the issue is, let, let's talk about that. As to how this man has been made well, verse 10, let it be known to all of you and to the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. If you weren't here on Wednesday night, I talked through Acts 1.8, and I said that this is a great prediction of what would happen. Jesus is prophesying, in a sense, saying, you will receive the Holy Spirit, and when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses. That's exactly what's happening here, folks. Peter, who had denied the Lord, Peter, who had cowered in a corner, Peter, who had been afraid, and the other disciples just waiting to see what would happen, and they're not certain, and they're confused, and their whole life seems to be uncertain now here they are standing right in the very middle of the people they had been so afraid of just a few weeks before and they are thundering out this message of repentance from sin for the deed of crucifying the lord of the lord of glory wow that's the work of the holy spirit folks that's the power of a life of obedience and as we want each one of us in our daily lives are careful to obey what we know careful to submit to what we know careful to say lord i submit to you i obey you i know what i ought to do i choose to do what you want me to do and by your grace by your help by the presence of your spirit in my life i do that that the, the spirit of god has more and more sway and power and flow in us and we begin to be more and more bold and we just like peter are ready to stand up and say this is true this is how it is and here peter proclaims this message look in verse, um, uh, did I read verse 10? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, we crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is none other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And the man who had been healed sending by them, um, uh, and seeing the man who had been healed sending with them, they had nothing to say in reply. So they ordered them to leave the council and began to confer with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place to them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. We can't deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them not to, or to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John went back like whipped puppies and said, oh, well, I guess that was a good run. It's over now. They had a little opposition. It's been a night in jail guess this isn't really worth it. 
No, you know what Peter and John said. In verse 19, Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. Look, you want to argue over the trivialities of whether this is the right way to approach this or not? You figure that out yourselves. Here's what we're going to do. Verse 20. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. That ship is, that, that rocket is launched, Peter says. There's no bringing that back. That horse is out of the gate, man. That bottle has been uncorked. You use whatever metaphor you want, but it's going to happen. You, you can't stop this. We can't stop this. The reality is Peter literally could not stop talking. Uh, Mrs. Dyer, I'll pick on you just a minute, but she was saying yesterday we stopped. We were having a nice lunch, and we got talking about coffee. I, 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 I like coffee. And Chris, I found out that you, you roast your own coffee. You're the man. I mean, that's, that's it. You know, if you've never had fresh roast coffee, uh, by the way, do you have any with you? <laughs> I mean, y y it, is like, it is like, wow, I've been drinking dirty water my whole life. It is so good. Um, so, uh, so we were talking about coffee and all this, and, and about, you know, and, and I, I don't remember, I said something, oh, I was talking about energy drinks, and my son drinks all these energy drinks, and it's rotting his teeth, and it's like suddenly he's got cavities. He said, son, stop drinking all the energy drinks. It's burning all your, the, the, the enamel off your, anyway, that's a whole other story. And so... So Mrs. Dyer was saying that uh, one time they took a trip up to Maine and with her family and she, somebody said, you know, take a caffeine pill. Is that what it was? A caffeine pill. And she took that and she said the result was, I hope I'm not, I am embarrassing you, but I hope you'll forgive me. Um, said, you know, it made me start talking and I just couldn't stop talking. I just talk, 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 talk. So for four hours I couldn't stop talking. Well, it's like Peter and John have got the caffeine pill. They can't stop talking. You may want to try to stop talking, but we're going to keep talking, right? I, I remember one time I was in uh, Cuba. Well, I've been to Cuba a few times, but one of the times I was in Cuba, um, I met a guy named Miguelito. Miguelito is a salt-of-the-earth kind of guy, very simple guy. Uh, he, he had about a third-grade education, um, just a really simple guy. And um, I, I met his family, and I gave them... I had some gospel tracts, and I had some um, Gideon's New Testaments with me. And I uh, got those in, got through. I didn't smuggle them. I put them in my bags and got to the Havana airport, uh, put them right on top. I figured, you know, there's no point in trying to sneak this stuff through. They're going to find it. They're going to find it. So I put it right on top. They opened up and said, what's this? I said, gifts for the people of Cuba. And they said, well, we don't know if this is good. And I said, well, read it and find out. So the, uh, the, the immigration, the customs person takes a track. She says, well, I don't think so. I said, well, you haven't read the whole thing. So it was, a, you know, it was Ford Porter track, God's Simple Plan of Salvation. And uh, so she read it through, and she said, I'm, I'm not sure. I said, well, ask somebody else. So somebody else came. By the time it was done, every single official in the airport was standing there reading God's Simple Plan of Salvation. <laughs> I figure if nobody else gets the gospel, at least the airport personnel just got the gospel. And so, uh, and so finally, the top official says, no, this is contraband, and uh, you can't take this into the country. They, and I said, what about the New Testaments? I had counted them out, and I, I, my wife is Cuban. She has a bunch of aunts and uncles and cousins. She's grown up in the U.S., but she was born in Cuba. And so um, I had counted them out, the number for the aunts and uncles. I said, these are gifts. These are specifically for certain people. I said, okay, then that's fine. You can take those. Well, so all the officials went back to their spot, and, uh, and the person who had confiscated the person who started all this she looks me in the eye and she says you know I, I, I think this is what my people need 
And she, she put it all back in the luggage and she said, like, I want to tell anybody, right? <laughs> and um, so I took it into Cuba and, uh, and, uh, and, and one of the families was Miguelito, one of my wife's uncles, and uh, gave him, gave him a, a, a Gideon New Testament and God's simple plan of salvation tract. And his kids, my wife's cousins, they kind of scorned that, they mocked all that. And I thought, you know, maybe this is a waste of a Bible. I only had 16 of them. Maybe this is a waste of a Bible because Miguelito, he barely can read, and I don't know, he doesn't seem to be all that keen. You know, maybe I should, and no, 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 no. He gave it to Miguelito. A year later, almost to the day, I was back in Cuba, and I went to see Miguelito. And I said, Miguelito, did you read that gospel track? Yes, I did. You read all of it? Oh, yes. Do you still have it? Yes, I do. He went to get it and wanted to show me. I tell you, folks, that was like a piece of tissue paper. That track had been read and fingered so many times. It, it was almost like a relic. I would love to have that thing framed. And he carefully, gently put it in my hands and love this tract. I love this. I said, did you read the Bible? He said, yes. It was just a New Testament. He said, yes. I said, did you read it all the way through? Yes, I did. More than once? Yes. How many times, Miguelito? Oh, he says, he hung his head. He said, not, not too many. How many times did you read it all the way through? He said, 33. About that time, a guy on a bicycle goes by and he says, Hey, Jesus man, how are you? I straightened up. They remember me. I was here a year ago. I'm a Jesus man. And then I realized they're not talking to me. They're talking to Miguelito. I spent a day there. During that day, there must have been 100 people come by. Hey, Jesus man, I've got a question for you. And I sat there absolutely amazed Here's a man who all he had was one gospel tract and a New Testament, which he had read 33 times. And he got the answer to the question right almost every single time. And he, with tears in his eyes, said, thank you for giving me the gospel. It's the power of the gospel. And here's this little old man. He's with the Lord now. Miguelito, with his third grade education, he became the Jesus man, and he couldn't stop talking. And within a year, the whole town knew, that's the Jesus man. I tell you, folks, you can take away all the position, all the opportunities, all the academic stuff, everything that's been part of my life. I want to be a Jesus man. I want people to say, that man can't stop talking about Jesus. Yeah, that's me. That's what I want to be. And so Peter and John are here, and they're teaching these people. They're leading this crowd. They're showing them what it looks like to fulfill Jesus' prediction of being filled with the Spirit and being witnesses to Jesus Christ. It involves serving, helping, lifting people out of their dire circumstances, but even more than that, it involves an absolute passion and commitment to the Savior. A friend of mine who's a missionary in Albania, David Hasefluk, some of you know David. David Hasefluk says 
he thanks God for every missionary. But he said, we don't need more missionaries. What we need are passionaries. People who are passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. People who, in their workplace, in their families, when they go to the store, when they go on vacation, wherever they are, they think about Jesus Christ and talking to others about him and the good news of faith and repentance and freedom from the judgment of God. So when we talk about preaching Christ and helping others, we want to do both. We want to help others like Peter, not because he expected to preach and see 5,000 saved, but because he could help the guy. But in the course of doing our duty, he didn't even go up there to help the guy. He went up there to worship. In the course of doing our duty, folks, trusting God, accepting our circumstances. I don't have everything I want. I don't have everything I think I should have. Okay, fine. You have the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have more than you will ever need to keep your soul satisfied for all of eternity. Let me say that if you're here today and you don't have the gospel of Jesus Christ, Peter's message is for you. The, the, the soul, the, the great need that you have in your soul today is not to have a better life and better health and better family and a better job and a better house and better car and all those things which are good and wonderful in themselves. The need of your soul is Jesus Christ. To be freed from the judgment of God and to have a certainty of eternal life with him. As we come to the end of these series, we see in this passage that Peter and John just couldn't stop talking missions in a sense, whether it's here, we're talking about our local outreach, or we're talking about across the globe, missions is overflow. It's, it's about what God is doing in me. And then it reaches out as I witness in his name, as I am in his name, like him before those around me. The gospel overflows from me, filling me with joy and awe. I sat this morning with Brother um, Michael Hodge up at the IHOP just down the road, talking to me about Tunisia and what God was doing there, and uh, about some, some Muslims that came to faith. And I got all teary-eyed. I'm an emotional guy. You know that by now. And, uh, and then that got Michael emotional. We kind of sat there and got emotional, two grown men, you know, sitting in a restaurant. And uh, I said, Mike, let's not ever stop being overwhelmed by the power of the gospel. Let's not ever stop being filled with awe at what God does to change a life, including my life. And then let that flow out to the people all around us. Let's pray. Father, thank you today that the gospel is powerful unto salvation. There are people in this audience today, Lord, some who are highly educated, some who are barely educated, some who are very successful economically, some who barely scrape together a living, some, Lord, who have accomplishments and accolades, and some who life has not been quite so kind to them. But all of us, as we come to the gospel of Jesus Christ, find in it the storehouse of every blessing, the treasure most needed, that quenching, um, that which quenches the thirst of the human soul and fills our every yearning and desire as we find in Jesus Christ the satisfaction we seek. 
and as he works in us and fills us with, our, with his spirit and takes control of our lives in every aspect, we become like him in what we say as we talk of him and witness of him. We become like him in what we are as we put aside our selfishness and the natural bent of our lives to want to live for this life and for ourselves. And we begin to be all about Jesus and like Miguelito become Jesus men, Jesus women. We want that, Lord. And we pray that as we do that, you will use us. We know you will. We walk by faith and trust that even on those days when we don't have what we think we should have and the car is broken down and the kids are acting up and things could be a lot better, it's in the midst of that situation you are planning to use us in a way you wouldn't have if we had everything just right. The layman is there. Help us to see him. Help us to stop. Help us to have compassion. And then step back and watch you do amazing things as you use us for your glory. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.